The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, I'm speaking with Garrick Heimbaugh. He is the founder of ecostylist.com, and it is a a company uh, revolving around men's fashion, which is really cool. So welcome to the show, Garrick. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Laura. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So I'm excited to learn all about Ecostylist. So is is that right? Would you say it's like a, a, a fashion company for men? Is that how you would describe it? More or less. I, I describe it as a marketplace for ethically and sustainably made men's clothes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So guys, like, they want to buy sustainably made clothes and, and we help them find that, you know, whatever their style is. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome because I don't even know, like, where to get that for myself, like, a lot of the times. So it's nice to have a marketplace. And, and you feature different brands as well. So that's nice. It's not just, like, one one company. Yeah, we have... 40 plus brands right now. Oh, uh, wow. We we research all of our brands first, and then uh, we use a nonprofit's criteria. They're called Remake. Um, so we use Remake Sustainable Brand Criteria, and if they pass that criteria, um, they go on our brands list. You know, and then so we work with brands, uh, and it's always growing, obviously, because we're doing more research. But yeah, it's currently currently 40 plus. Mm-hmm. That's good that it's growing too, because I think more and more there are more sustainable companies popping up, or companies are turning towards sustainability, which is amazing to see. So what kind of criteria are you looking at before a brand can be featured on your marketplace? Yeah, I would say that our criteria is very, you know, progressive in terms of ethics and sustainability. It's it's the most progressive criteria that I'm aware of that's nice. out there, uh, just to be honest. And yeah, so what we're looking at is we have this, we basically go through, um, and you can, we try to be transparent about all of this. So you can Look at the criteria on remake from Remake's website or from our website. You can look at the criteria, uh, but essentially it's like an Excel spreadsheet that has you know a lot of questions, and they're kind of broken out into categories. So it'll ask like you know does the brand use sustainable fabrics and and more questions along those lines, and it'll ask does the brand uh, pay living wages? Do they have certifications for their factories? Uh, there's a whole section on like maker well-being, which is you know like investing in the communities and the workers and healthcare and things like this. Um, so yeah, it's broken down into different sections and then they get points for all the things that they're doing and they need 50 out of a hundred points to pass the criteria, which, you know, generally, like if that was grades, that probably doesn't sound, that sounds like it's failing, right? But the criteria is like super progressive. So, you know, most of the brands that we research fail and, and we're kind of like continually looking for the best brands out there, um, so that we can help, you know, conscious consumers find them. That's amazing. And I find a lot of, a lot of times in the sustainability world, it's focused on like carbon footprint and uh, and you know maybe wastewater or something like that. And often I find waste is not included in certain things. So is that do you have that as a criteria or is that not in there? Like of just like yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. Waste wastewater is um, there are some questions about wastewater specifically nice. because that's that's really important in fashion, right? It's like yeah. like River Blue is a great documentary about that, yes. but it's it especially terrible where they're just dumping these chemicals into rivers. So there's questions around wastewater. There's also questions around waste. Like you like you said, there's like brands get points if they are basically doing circular initiatives. And so there's a few questions about that as well. 
Nice. That's good because, yeah, I find like uh, there's this plastic bag study I've mentioned before. It was a Danish study. And a lot of people who are pro plastic bag and pro like chemical industry always go to that and say, look, uh, one plastic bag is way better for the environment than any other kind of bag. And so I read the entire study. I think it's like page 75 pages or something. And they say very specifically they don't consider the littering aspect of that at all. Like, that's just not part of the study. They're only considering, like, the carbon footprint of making those materials and just assuming that they're being, like, incinerated at the end or whatever. Um, so – and we know the plastic bags are, like, directly killing whales. So uh, sometimes I, f- I find, like, the waste factor gets forgotten a little bit. Uh, so it's it's uh, nice to consider those things, I think. But how did how did you start this this marketplace? Like, what what is your story? Because this is pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I – you know, I wanted to start, I think I wanted to be an entrepreneur for a while. Like I read, you know, like 15 books about the topic. Um, it just really excited me as like this personal challenge where I would, you know, I just really wanted to see if I could do it, you know, like see, like, can I start something and, and from scratch and, you know, can I push myself way out of my comfort zone, you know, to, to do all the things you have to do that, you know, and, and they go along with that. Yeah. Um, and then, somewhere along that journey um and i tried different things along the way you know i tried a lot of things that that more or less failed like i for a little while i taught people this is kind of a higher end service but i I taught people how to like work on cars so i had like a client in dc he was a lawyer and he paid me to teach him how to work on cars because that was something i knew how to do i had like a productivity blog that ended up not really going anywhere and and so things like this I, i tried different things and and somewhere along this journey i encountered social entrepreneurship and I started to learn about, you know, companies that do more than just business, like they're they're investing back in people or the community or the environment in some way, right? So like the first instances of this I learned about were like Tom's shoes and Warby Parker and then um and just to be frank, like and it's not they're doing good things, but then I learned there's actually businesses that are like doing more and then they're more progressive and maybe they're thinking more too about like where their clothes are made, you know, and, and so they're really, really considering their impact you know, beyond like just a buy one, give one model, um, which can be great in some ways and problematic in others. And, and so, yeah, yeah. So when I learned, I learned about all this and, and then I was like, well, this is obviously what I want to do because um, it's just so cool. Right. And I think this is where business is going and, and this is the future. And it just really aligned with, you know, with me and my values, but uh, I didn't know how to do it. I was like, how do you start a social venture? Is it like any other business? Like, do you have to be rich first? Right. There's so many questions in my head. And so, yeah, so that was kind of where I was at. And, and then I was starting this this fashion tech startup, and so I realized that men, you know, have unique challenges when it comes to buying clothes. Like they they might be influenced by another person a great percentage of the time, right? They might not have a lot of confidence to make purchasing decisions themselves when it comes to clothes. They're time sensitive, right? Um, but like they want to dress better, so they kind of have. And so I was like, I can think I can solve these problems with something that's not like a box service, like Stitch Fix. So. So that was where I started. I was like, I'm going to make an automated personal stylist online and, and, and just help men buy clothes. And then it was in this process that I started to learn more about social entrepreneurship. I learned about some ethical brands. Um, and once I discovered my first ethical brand, so that was Adelante Shoe Company, I didn't even know brands did this stuff. Like they, they measure their own living wages in Guatemala and they pay their workers that. And so it's extremely progressive and they do these like reports that show year over year how you know more of their workers can afford like education for their children and health care and is that so they're just toms? really transparent was that toms no that's adelante sorry it's adelante oh, shoe company adelante shoe company yeah cool I'm gonna look they're, it up. they're pretty small they're, they're based in boston um and so i, I, nice. I had a chance meeting with the founder 
and that was how I discovered his brand and he told me about it. And yeah, that was kind of the pivotal moment for me. I was like, I didn't know brands were doing this. From that, I started to dig into the issues in the fashion industry, you know, so many environmental issues, so many people issues. And then you have brands like this that are doing, doing things differently. And so I discovered a lot of brands doing things like this, but they're really hard to find. It's hard to know which brands you should trust, you know, and, and so it was pretty much like within a month of that, of that meeting, I was like, this is what I have to do. I was like, forget what I was doing before. Like, I have to help people find these brands because, you know, like more people should know about them and they have great stories and, and people obviously want to buy from brands like this. It's just like I said, there's, there's a whole host of new problems when you talk about that. Like, it's like, who do you trust? Where do you find them? Yeah. All of this. Cause like you search for sustainable fashion and the first things that come up are like these big media articles and like, no offense, but most of these big media sources have no idea what they're talking about. Like they don't use, um, they don't use like any research criteria. They're just like, they're like top 10 sustainable brands, you know, Everlane, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I'm sorry, but did you vet this? Like, did you do research at all? You know? And, and so, so that's where we come in. I was like, I, I think I can do better for people and, and help them find sources they can trust. And, and that's how EcoStylist started. That's awesome. I think a lot of us are frustrated with our media around the world these days. So I totally get that. And actually, uh, speaking of someone who's like saying, look, this is a sustainable brand without doing any research. I saw on your blog that you went on another podcast, I guess, to talk about Billy Elish's line with H&M. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was sort of a unique piece of content for us. And it just, but it just felt like it, it came across our attention when it, you know, when the collection drops, because, you know, obviously H&M, does a, they do like they're doing a very small amount of things in, in in terms of like moving to be a more sustainable brand they get really blamed for fast fashion they do they do get a lot of the blame they are doing some things well like they are partaking in, in, in initiatives they're making like some kind of effort it's just mm-hmm. the, the problem is they're not addressing the biggest issues for them which is like their business model is the biggest issue right like you can't you can't like talk about being a sustainable brand without addressing the fact that you're dropping like 52 collections a year mm-hmm. and you're just trying to promote like intense consumerism at a level that it's never been at before when it comes to clothes. So yeah. Yeah. So that's like number one, like they can't having like BCI cotton doesn't address that. Right. Which is like a huge issue. What's BCI? So, is that the certification BCI? It is. Yeah. Yeah. BCI cotton is, um, it's the better cotton initiative and okay, it's like, it's like a step in the right direction. So it's kind of like in between you have conventional cotton and then you have organic cotton and BCI is kind of like in the middle. It's better in some ways. It's like more sustainable farming practices. They prohibit certain pesticides, but it's not as good as organic cotton, which is just, you know, no pesticides, you know, and, and other things as well. So, yeah. So, and, and it's a thing that H&M has been doing a lot of, like they've, they're supposed to have converted all of their cotton to BCI cotton by this year. I haven't seen like an update on that, but that was like, that was the plan. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. So do you go back to H&M though? Basically, we're, so we're kind of aware that they greenwash a lot, right? And that they have huge sustainability problems that they're not addressing. And then they, they came out with this Billie Eilish collection and their press release said, you know, it's, it's all sustainably made. Like it was like these big claims. And then all these media sources picked it up, like, like, um, and they just said the same thing. Like they regurgitated the press release, yeah. you know, as if like, yeah. And it was really frustrating. And I thought, this is like really concerning. And I think somebody needs to put out a piece of content that's actually like analyzing this collection. Good. And so that's how we, yeah. So that's how we stumbled upon that. And we wrote that and we wrote that article. And then this podcast that wanted to investigate it found us and, and we chatted with them about it. And they, they even did some of their own digging that was really interesting. And, but we, we both found some pretty alarming things like the fact that H&M buried their press release. So 
like after the whole thing happened, you could no longer um, link to their press release. Uh, it just would go straight to the collection page. So they, they, it seems like they were hiding their trail, so to speak. And so there was just kind of a lot of red flags. And, and ultimately, the collection is not that sustainable. So it needed to be looked into. Wow, good for you for doing that. Where can we look at that for extra information? Um, that's on your website, right? So if we go to ego-stylist.com and then go on your blog, then listeners can can find that article on Billie Eilish, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can find it on there and then, yeah. Yeah, because she's like a really big name right now. And you know what I can't wait for is when a big celebrity just gets on the sustainable bandwagon. I think it'll just it'll be a tipping point and millions of people will kind of like jump on the bandwagon with it because I don't really see a whole lot of celebrities doing that sort of thing. Uh, I think Hillary Duff, she's got two kids now, so she's, you know, into the sustainability life. But I think it needs to happen more at like the celebrity level and then trickle down to us. I hope I hope that that comes soon. But yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I think Meghan Markle and, and Emma Watson are as big proponents of sustainable fashion. But oh, really? in terms of Billie Eilish, and the intention of our article is obviously it's more about H and M. It's not saying anything bad about her. Like even the the podcast yeah. hosts were like big fans of Billie Eilish, and and the reality of this, which is kind of a shame, is that she probably does care about sustainability. It's it's yeah. almost it's most likely that, you know, her record label made this deal with H&M. And, totally. and so she hasn't had, like, any comments on it whatsoever, positive or negative. Mm-hmm. And most likely her hands are kind of tied in that respect. So it would be really nice if she did come out and say something about the collection. But the reality is, like, she probably can't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, let's talk about another blog article. So I just checked out these shoes, and they're so beautiful. So on the Adelante website, and I really would like a pair. The ones I want are two hundred and fifty dollars. So you write an article though about sustainable fashion actually not being as as expensive as it first appears. Yeah, yeah, and actually the, the Adelante shoes are, are kind of a great example actually because the, you know the yeah. price point is it's a little high on the outside, but at the same time, if you compared it to like brands of similar quality, the price is, is roughly the same actually for those types of shoes and those types of boots and the things that they make. And then it's really important with brands like that, which we talk about in the article, to consider things like cost per wear, right? Because, yes. you know, these shoes are going to last a long time. Um, they're designed to be resolable, right? So maybe Ooh, you can yeah. wear them like 300 times and then, yep. yeah, and then you can pay, you know, a cobbler, let's just say $100, which is, it could be cheaper than that. But, you know, you have them resold and then you get like hundreds more wears out of them. So while the price point might be a little high at the outset, the cost per wear, you know, ends up being pretty good and and so, yeah, one big point we make in the article is just that it's really important to consider your cost per wear and not just the upfront cost when, when thinking about if something's expensive. Perfect example is like there was an article about this. I forgot who wrote it, but this guy wrote this article where he was like, he was, he was monitoring his own habits and he found that he would buy like multiple pairs of Banana Republic jeans um, every year and then they would last him like nine months. And those jeans aren't cheap, you know, so you're, he's probably paying like 70 bucks per pair buying three or four pairs and they wear out in nine months. And then you compare that to like, you know, buying $120 like outer known jeans that have a lifetime warranty and they're sustainably and ethically made or like nudie jeans, um, which is a really cool company that does free repairs for life. And so their jeans are like up to $200, but again, like that free repairs for life. And then, so then you're like, which one is actually cheaper, right? Like the nudie jeans are absolutely more expensive upfront, but cheaper in the long run. You yeah. know, especially if you're taking advantage of those free repairs, which which is just like an incredible deal. 
Yeah, totally. So I have a, a pair of leather boots. They're they're actual leather. So I apologize to my vegan listeners who probably don't like that. But vegan leather is usually oil and gas, which isn't that great either. So I have this pair of leather boots and I've had them now for 10 years. So I got them. Actually, I think longer than that. I know I had them in 2010. And they've had the sole repaired once. So I had to repair a heel and I polished them because from my military days, I know how to polish my shoes and I clean them and I waterproof them and stuff. And yeah, so they're, they're well over a decade and they're still going. So they're fantastic. And I probably paid upwards of $300 for them, but I have bought other footwear and I have never had anything last nearly as long. And then I have to throw them out, which is wasteful, right? So sometimes it is good to spend a little bit more if we can. It's just tricky if we don't trust the brand. And I don't know if you know Canada Goose. Do you know that company? I do, yeah. So they're like really expensive jackets, but I'm like not a good Canadian. I'm freezing cold all the time. Like everyone thinks that I should be out in shorts and t-shirt, you know, and everyone else is wearing coats. Like when I go to the U.S. and I'm like, no, I'm wearing like winter coats because <laughs> I'm always cold. But anyway, the the Canada Goose jacket, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay more money. Seems like a trusted brand. I'll at least stay warm and the quality should be there for years and years. But on the second year, the cuffs were fraying and then this like big thread was coming out of the pocket and I was so disappointed. Uh, I can still wear it, but I just expect like more quality out of it. So this is kind of why I like so much what you're doing because I feel like you investigate the brand a little more so that people can trust you and then therefore trust the brand. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Yeah. And yeah, Kennedy Goose is a good example. It's not a brand that I have a lot of experience with, but you definitely get the impression that, you know, it's a brand that's banking on hype. And, And anytime, you know, you kind of use hype to like inflate the, your prices, it usually doesn't correlate with really high quality, right? Like usually these brands aren't, unfortunately, are not. Um, you know, whereas like a Patagonia, you know, jacket that might be a little cheaper, like right, is probably going to be much higher quality. Uh, you know, yeah, but th- that's a, so. that's a hard thing to to measure because it, it varies by brand. Like it's not like it's It'll, there's not like a golden rule for that, right? It it varies by brand and it also varies by the wearer. So I'm actually pretty tough on a lot of my clothes because I'm very, very active. So what might wear out for me might not wear out for someone else for like half a decade, right? So it it is hard to measure that stuff. But Patagonia is is an excellent example because they take their stuff back and they refurbish it. And then they've got that that secondhand website. I can't remember what it's called, something Patagonia. Um, Oh, yeah, Warnware. Yeah, thank you. Warnware. That's actually, I think I saw that because of your website. I actually think that that was the first time I discovered it. So I think that that's like amazing. Like they're just doing so many good things. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. They repair. I just wish it was easier to have their stuff repaired. Like I wish you could go to any, you know, Patagonia. Um, I mean, they're obviously doing a lot. So I'm not, it's not a criticism of Patagonia, but I wish you could go like anywhere that they sell Patagonia stuff and have the stuff repaired because I think it, it can be a little challenging. Like they have these repair events. Where they, which is awesome, where they travel around and, and they have like, their fans are super loyal. And so they come and to the like repair mobile and they have their stuff repaired for free. And, and that's all awesome, you know, if you can make it to these events. But then, but the thing, but the warmware is great. Like, yeah, they take back stuff, they repair it, then they resell it. Um, and they've even gone a step beyond now with, um, they have this subdivision of warmware called recrafted. Um, and that's where they take the stuff that like couldn't be the, like the scraps and like the things that just couldn't be repaired because they were too damaged and, they combine those things into new garments. So they'll make like a, you know, a down jacket in the recrafted collection and it's all like patches because it's from 
know, multiple pieces of, it's basically from multiple down jackets, right? And they've taken all the pieces and put them together and they'll make t-shirts like this where it's just like, as well, where it's, you know, it's a bunch of scraps essentially like stitched together. And so it looks really cool. And also like it has a really cool, you know, environmental story as well. Mm-hmm. It sounds like what Zero Waste Daniel is doing with his like recut, I think it was, uh, with his technique, re-roll. It was the re-roll technique that he's using which is cool. And that's one of our earlier episodes. If you're listening, if you remember the Zero Waste Daniel episode that he's patching stuff together. I really feel like he's, at least from my viewpoint, like the pioneer of that. Um, yeah. You know, who knows, like who started it, but he was the first person I was aware of. And I think he was doing that before, you know, Recrafted was. And he's, yeah, that's a great brand. He's just everything he makes out of fabric scraps. And um, yeah, I, I actually, I visited his store when I was in New York and He's just like the warmest guy and also, you know, and he's often in his store and just he's just, yeah, he's just doing like amazing work. He is. Yeah, he's so nice. And you know what? I, th- I just thought about this now, but like, I guess women have been sewing together patchwork quilts and stuff probably for like over like thousands of years, if you if you think about it. But I think maybe it was a technique that was kind of lost within our last century or so, because everything is everybody wants new, new, new. Right. And then I think he kind of like gave a rebirth to the the whole thing and used it for something different and fashionable and fun and and kind of awesome. Uh, but, okay, so Absolutely, you, yeah. you also offer advice, right, to people who want like a personal styling service, which I think is fantastic. That would probably cut down on waste as well if you can help someone pick out clothes that's their style because I'm sure if you're listening, this might have happened to you. Uh, I know I've bought things that I think I like and then I get home and I maybe wear it once or twice and I'm like, I don't really like it. It just doesn't look well on me or whatever. Like I might make some mistakes. So do you want to talk about a little bit about the the personal styling and maybe like the importance of tailoring as well? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because we obviously, we offer like style advice and these like shopping guides for different seasons and different events and, and holidays. And then we offer guides on what to do with your old clothes with the whole minimalism thing and, and Marie Kondo, like, uh, I, I think that she's now, I haven't like checked back. I think she's now publishing resources as well to help people. Cause I think, but she got a lot of backlash, you know, because it's like, it's like minimalism is great, but you have to add in the extra information. So people aren't like just throwing away 10 bags of clothes. Oh my gosh. Right? I know. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and even in the minimalism documentary, I remember like they just totally didn't mention that. So it <laughs> totally gave you the impression that like yeah, just throw it away. And I think, it, it, and then obviously it was like we're gonna always miss things when we do. Like we're not gonna catch everything, but it's important. I think it's important to revisit that because it's like hold on, like we can't be just throwing these clothes away. And so yeah, so I've written articles where it's like, what do you do with your old clothes? And you know, what's the reality behind your different options? And, and what are your best options? And what are resources you maybe never heard of? And so we we create all this content, but then yeah, but then with the personal styling, it's kind of a chance where like you know. Some people might they might not want to read all that content. They might just they're just like just help me, and so <laughs> I can go like I I can go to their closet with them. The things that they need to get rid of, I can tell them what to do with them. Like give you know like here's your best options, um, and I can do all this remotely. Like most of the people I work with, it, it is remote because that gives us the flexibility to do it anywhere, and I can I can do it like through Skype or mm-hmm. Google Hangouts or you know FaceTime, and it also gives me a chance to focus more on the style aspect where I help them. It's like what do you actually want out of your style? And then I can help them visualize that, and then I can help them achieve that. And then when I create like shopping lists for them and 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 act as their personal shopper, you know, it's all from these ethical and sustainable brands. So it's kind of like a multi-prong process where you know I can just help them build a more sustainable wardrobe. And included in that though is it's not I don't emphasize buying new things for my own gain in that process. You know, like like obviously you know if they buy something from the brands that I work with, 
like we, you know, we get commission and, and that's how we stay in business and write articles and all this stuff. But I don't like recommend that when it's not necessary. Like often, you know, the people I work with, like one, one guy I just worked with, he had all these blazers and I was like, you don't need any, I'm not going to recommend you any blazers because you don't need new <laughs> ones. You simply need to get blazers you have tailored. So they all fit you perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then I'll just recommend the things that you're missing, like like colorful shirts, like you know, like all you have is white shirts. So it's, you know, things like this, like to kind of like help him, you know, build build the style he wants. But yeah, tailoring is I think hugely important and, and often overlooked. It's like you know, if your pants don't fit you perfectly, it, it, then maybe they just needed an adjustment rather than buying a new pair, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's also it's often the way to achieve the best look, right? Like if you have your pants tailored so they fit you properly it's going to look better than like anything you're going to buy off the rack, right? Like tailoring is always a positive, you know, if it means a better fit for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it makes a world of difference. So uh, I've I've said many times before I'm ex-military, so we all had to get our stuff tailored. Like we would get yelled at if, you know, our pants were slumped at the bottom or, or our shirts were too big. I've been, I've been yelled at so many times <laughs> for not, not having yeah. <laughs> things tailored because my, my body's weird. I have to, I had to go in this machine and you have to like, you go in in your underwear and hold these things in your hand. It's like a, called a boss machine. I don't know if anyone's ever been in this. It looks like that thing you go through in the airport and you put your hands up and they do like a, scan of you. Uh, but they can do that to scan your body for like the size. It brings the size of your head, the size of your feet, uh, your inseam, all these measurements. It just takes them all at once. And then you can get everything tailored kind of perfectly. And like, that's why like people in uniform typically look really good. Like sure, the uniform's nice, but it's kind of mandatory that they're tailored. Uh, that's like a big part of it. And I think ironing and and getting things tailored and, and repaired, you know, if a button falls off, you got to kind of learn how to sew it on yourself or take it to a tailor if you, if you don't. All these things are important and they were always, I think, important in the world for, again, thousands of years, right? Uh, like I'm sure togas in, in Rome were tailored to fit people. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of – it's it's nice to remember those things if you want to look good and be sustainable that, yeah, taking it to a tailor uh, can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, you're right. We're definitely like coming back to that. Like people are seeing the importance yeah. of learning how to sew on their buttons so you don't get rid of a shirt just because the button's missing. And, but I really also really appreciate your perspective on that. Like I haven't heard that before, you know, with, about the military and that, that's really cool. I think maybe we should all be yelled at when our, you know, when our pants don't, uh, <laughs> no. don't like fall on our, on our shoes, right? So we can get them fixed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. And if your shoes aren't perfectly shined and, but it, it does help with self-confidence too. Like it, it feels good to look good, I think. And also if we are, what is it called? Like a, rep- a representative of the zero waste movement, it also helps to look nice. And I'll tell you why, because I've been, I, I approach people with an empty container and I'm like, could you please put some food in this? And these are questions I propose to people that shock them because they've never heard this question before and they don't know what to do behind a deli counter or at the restaurant or whatever. And it's a confrontational dynamic and it kind of sucks. Some people are, are sure, I'll put your you know, whatever in this container. And other people are like, oh my God, no, I'm not touching that. It could be a health danger and and all this stuff, right? So I find that I have to remind myself like, you know, just try and dress a little nicer and always be nice because I am in these positions of confrontation where I don't want people to get mad at me and like hate the zero waste movement because I am rude or something like I I don't want that. Um, And I also just want to have like a a general good image out there for that for that movement because I'm a little bit representative of it. Right. And, And I think it helps. 
Yeah, no, that's absolutely, that's a great point. I think, you know, zero waste and like vegans and, and people that care about sustainability and stable fashion, it was easy, I think, for people to stereotype us as, you know, like these people wearing like burlap sacks or something. So I think yeah. you're right. It's important that we, that we burlap break down that sacks. stereotype and, and <laughs> for sure. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I just faced a similar challenge, um, where I was at, cause I'm always using a reusable coffee cup. I, I, yeah. I, I feel really bad if, when I'm given like a paper cup and when I asked for, for here, for example, right? Like that sort of is really upsetting to me. Um, but which I was probably trying to sleep, but like, yeah, I was just at Starbucks, uh, you know, recently when I was on a, on a road trip and I, I tried to use my reusable cup and they, because of the coronavirus, they were, yep. they are not, they wouldn't allow me to. And that's, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's legitimate. I'm not really sure, but, um, definitely kind of, yeah, like you said, it's unfortunately sometimes it feels confrontational and, um, mm-hmm. it really shouldn't be right. We're just trying to, to reduce our impact. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's a weird thing. Like humans just have some stereotypes born in them. And sometimes if you are dressed really nicely, I think it, it just helps with things, especially if it's confrontation. And yeah, the thing about the coronavirus. So a bunch of our coffee shops up here said we're not taking your mugs, but of course they're still taking our dirty credit cards and they're, we're still using those like debit machines and, and door handles and stuff and scoops right from the, the bulk store. Cause our bulk store here that's across Canada, that's amazing. Uh, they also kind of ban containers for now. So I've run out of peanut butter, so we're just not going to eat peanut butter for a while, I guess, until they start it again. (laughs) But hopefully they start it soon. And yeah, it'd be interesting to see, like, we just don't know about the disease and I want people to be safe and healthy. So uh, it is what it is, I guess. But um, Garrick, this has right. been this has been awesome, and I really enjoyed looking through your website, especially the blog. So if you're listening, I recommend going through some of his blog articles because they're very insightful. And if you want some new clothes and you want to do some research on some sustainable brands, uh, this is a, a wonderful resource. So it's eco-stylist.com. And are you on Instagram too? Yeah, yeah. Our social media handle is your eco stylist altogether. Uh, and that's on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, all those channels. Awesome. Cool. So we can find find you on there as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Yeah, thanks so much, Lori. It was really fun chatting. That was Garrick Heimbaugh. He's the founder of EcoStylist.com, a marketplace for ethically and sustainably made men's clothes. He was speaking to us from Iowa. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. 